What a team over there at Palmerton. That's where I've been for the last year. Two years before that, I was at Lehighton. It took me two years to spoil Lehighton and one year to spoil Palmerton. And I'm back. So, <laughs> Pastor Kevin thought I'd do less damage here, I'm pretty sure. We loved it when some of you came to visit us at those campuses. Um, and thank you so much for the way that you gave and the way that many of you came over to encourage us during that time. One of the favorite things that we loved is somebody would come from this campus and walk into one of our other campuses and say, this feels like BWC. And what that meant to us was not that it, it looked exactly like it, but that the same spirit was there. You felt the same spirit when you go there as you do when you come here. And that's enormous. We knew that God was doing the work when we started hearing that. So thank you. And uh, we invite you to visit one of those campuses periodically just because uh, you'll get the same spirit and you'll encourage those that are there. I'd like to speak to you today from a passage that, that I chose. I was given a choice of a couple passages, and Philippians 4, 4 to 7 was one of them. I camp out there often, so I asked Pastor Kevin, could I preach on that one? He said yes. <laughs> there we hear these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know what that does to you. That takes my breath away. To the early church, it gave them oxygen. It breathed oxygen into the infant church 2,000 years ago. And the reason why it breathed oxygen into their spirits was because of, first of all, the person who spoke it. The person who spoke it was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. 20 years ago, that meant something to these Christians who were now hearing it for the first time from Paul the Apostle. It's the same person who stood after one of the most beautiful sermons by one of the most beautiful servants of God ever, Stephen. He had just given, you can find it in Acts chapter 7, this beautiful uh, synopsis of the Old Testament building up to Jesus and how he would be the Messiah. And he got so caught up in his message, you could see the joy of the Lord on his face. And he said, I can see him now. And he looked at the religious leaders of his day and to their face he told them, and you're the ones that killed him. They shrieked in hatred at that, and they, without a trial, said, this, this scourge of the earth deserves to die like a dog. And so without a trial, 
they grab these big rocks and they take him to a pit that is already stained with the blood of Christians. And there they stone him to death. And a young man named Saul of Tarsus was there. And they said, will you, will you take care of our coats, buddy, while we do this? He said, glad to. And we're told in Acts 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, that on that day, a persecution broke out in the early church world that would change them and the world forever. It ignited something on that very day. And Paul Saul at that time got so caught up in, in it, and he, he hated Christians so much that he, he was elected to be a leader of it. And we're told in the Bible that he breathed out murderous threats against any Christians that he could dig up anywhere. He was commissioned to hunt, to imprison, to impale, to immobilize, to abort, to strangle, to remove all life support from this infant church and to remove the scourge of it from the face of this earth, and he believed 100% that what he was doing was the best thing that could be done for mankind and for God above. He believed it. But somebody, while he was on his way to do this, targeted the heart of Saul of Tarsus on his way to kill people, targeted his heart, and on the road to Damascus, he met your Jesus and mine. And he would never be the same. And the reason why these beautiful words in Philippians meant so much to them is this is the same voice that once cried out for their death, and now here he is at the head of the line of all Christians to be persecuted and beaten and hunted. The key to our death has now become the key to our peace. We call him Paul, the apostle, and we love him. God's put him out in front of all of us. And that's why those words were like oxygen to the early church. But there's another reason. It's because of, of the one who inspired those words. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Every word that I quoted today and that you read came from the eternal Godhead. There is plenty of evidence that when the Spirit of God moved on men to write what we now know as scriptures, they knew, they knew. There's every indication that these were not their own words, that something timeless and eternal was flowing through them. It didn't come to them in English like it did to us today. Something eternal was happening, and we call it the Scripture. And that's why these words are still oxygen to our souls 2,000 years later, because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
and they have inspired nations and generations from Paul to the present. As I read these scriptures that we read today, it seemed to me like there was a recipe for peace that was in this scripture passage. And a recipe, you know, if you've got a good recipe and you're really proud of it, and there's only one way to get it just right, you know that you've got to do it in order using all and only the ingredients in the recipe. Some years ago, Joy and I were uh, part of a church where it was a country church, and it was known for its church dinners, and oh my word, the things you would get at these church dinners, the best cooks and bakers in the world. And so somebody came up with the idea of our church as so many talented people, we need to do a cookbook. And they all agreed, and all of them sent in their favorite recipe. <laughs> the favorite, of which they would soon be famous, and their name was behind it, their integrity was behind it. And so they all sent them in, unfortunately. And this is the way to start World War III. <laughs> the person who was supposed to copy the recipes edited the recipes, oh. saying of these favorite recipes, that doesn't sound right. Oh, uh, I think they need to add this. And pretty soon, the ladies in the church are saying, I tried your recipe, but I must have done something wrong. Yeah, I tried yours too. I don't know what happened. And they all looked at the cookbook, and they said, we know what happened. Oh. She switched it. She switched it. And that which was they, they were supposed to be famous for becomes a failed result. It's disastrous. It's distasteful. And unfortunately, Joy Weldon's sticky buns were among the casualties. <laughs> Joy Weldon's sticky buns? Are you kidding me? It's a religious experience when you do it right. I've watched this hundreds of times, one bite of Joy's warm sticky buns, and people close their eyes. They begin to hug themselves. Their feet actually lift off. And while in that levitated state, some have even said that they heard angels sing. <laughs> But if you get the recipe wrong, if you do it for 22 minutes instead of 23 at 3.50, mm, you're going to get a gooey inside, and you can never undo it, even if you put them back in the oven. It's all gooey. If you don't like squirrels, feed it to the squirrels. It will choke them. Don't ask me how I know that. If you do it for 24 minutes, that soft, gooey stuff on the top that melts in your mouth and makes you sing, uh, caramelizes. It's like chewing gumballs. It's like biting down on Fixident or Polygrip. 
and you can't get your mouth open for 10 minutes. If you don't have clear nasal passages, you could die. You don't want to get the recipe wrong. You want to do it right. By the way, as you leave today, Joy's homemade sticky buns are on the table. Not the buns, but the recipe. It's there. You're going to want to try it. <clears throat> now, are you ready for the recipe that is in Philippians 4, 4 to 7? Here's the ingredients. You've got to put them in in order, and you've got to put all of them in and only these to get the recipe for transcendent peace. First one is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What is the root word of rejoice? Joy. So he is saying, basically, joy in the Lord always. I'll, I'll tell you again, joy. And he's saying the first ingredient is dump a whole lot of joy into this recipe. And when you're done with that, dump another bunch of joy into this recipe. And you say, what? Oh, okay, what is so significant about that as, as the first ingredient? What is significant is that the people he was speaking to were experiencing persecution, false teaching, governmental restrictions, and personality conflicts that like to split the church in half. And so he says, you pour this joy in there. I know. Are you ready? Pour joy in. Now pour another bunch of joy and rejoicing in. And he even tells you why, in the recipe, why you do that. Three words, in the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord. And at the end of the recipe, he says, in Christ Jesus. Those are the most important words. That's why you have joy, because it's now in the Lord. Without those words, in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, you are at the mercy of daily news. You're at the mercy of your emotions or someone else's, unless you can, can allow the joy of the Lord. Paul says he's in you. He's all around you. He's risen. He's in heaven. He's coming again. That's why you, you have this great amount of joy that you put in to the recipe. And he says, always, always, this will work. Always have joy. Always do this in the Lord and think of it that way. It doesn't say there's no small print in this recipe that says, um, this won't come out right if there's persecution or political upheaval or personality conflicts or a pandemic. This won't work then. You, you won't get the peace if any of those things are happening. But he says, always rejoice in the Lord. Always. You've either got to be obedient or nuts to obey that. I'd sooner be nuts. <laughs> I'd sooner be nuts as the world looks and says, are you crazy? Are your eyes not open? Look what's happening around us. 
How can you smile through all of this? How come you're happy through this? What makes you tick? Because there's joy. Nothing stops it. I can't stop it. I can't help myself. No matter what you throw at me, I'm going to land on my feet. Uh, Joy is going to come out, and it's not just because I'm married to her. (laughs) It's it's in there. Like Prego spaghetti sauce, it's in there. It's part of the mix. We're crazy to the world, but there's joy. And there ain't nothing that can put it out and stop it. There never was anything, and there never is anything, and there never will be anything. And that's why Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, always, this always works. So pour the joy in. Are you with me so far? Here's your next ingredient, gentleness. Matthew Henry calls gentleness moderation. Now, why would he choose that of all the fruits of the Spirit he could use to put into this recipe? Why would he choose gentleness? Could it be because gentleness in times like ours and in times like his, gentleness is the least natural response? This does not come naturally. If you've ever had somebody look you in the eye and get in your face, and tell you, I wish you would die, or at least disappear. I wish you had never come into my life or been born. You are scourge on this earth. And you have somebody yelling vindictives in your face. I promise you, it does not come naturally to say to that person, Thank you for your kind words. I will always cherish them. (laughs) Does not come naturally. What comes naturally is to yell right back at somebody who just yelled at us. What comes naturally is, as us pastors hear a lot, Pastor, I just lost it. That person just pushed me my button one too many times, and I just lost it. And we don't even want to hear the rest of it. Because even though you were right, and you had the argument, and you you talked that person right into the ground, you lost a whole lot more than your temper. You lost an opportunity. You lost a friend. You lost a witness. And you'll never get it back unless you're a man or woman enough to go back to that person you said it to and say, I call myself a Christ follower. And I said this to you in this way. And I'm so sorry. If you have the guts to do that, you will make a double deep friendship because some people have never met a Christian who could admit that he or she was wrong. 
And so you throw gentleness into it. And everywhere you go with Paul, follow him around in the scriptures. He will always lead you back to the cross. And he's going to say, the reason you need gentleness in this is simply because I'm going to take you back to the cross. And I'm going to show you gentleness. Everybody come here, come around. And you look at Jesus on the cross. Three hours, six hours in. People mocking and jeering him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His dying words. And that's why we need gentleness in the mix, and lots of it. And then he even told you in smaller print why you need this gentleness, because he said, the Lord is near. That meant two things to them and two things to us. When he said the Lord is near, it means it's like he's standing right here beside you. And there are some things that, um, I'm sorry to say, there are some things that I would say if you were close to me, but if I were over here talking to someone else, I would say something about you that I would never say if I was standing right next to you. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. But it so often is. And when he said the Lord is near, he's saying, folks, what you just said, what you just did, what, what I just did, I did while Jesus was standing right there and he's in us. And we, we don't do that when he's in us and when he's near us. And it meant something else to them too, that when you put gentleness into the recipe, and he said, because the Lord is near, <clears throat> it meant something to them. And that meant that he's coming back soon. He said to his disciples, and this, this message never died, that in the same way he was lifted up into the heavens, he's going to come back. And he always said, he's coming soon. 2,000 years, Christians are saying, he's coming soon. And it gets almost laughable, except that that message has never, ever died. Have you noticed recently that no matter where you go, on the frontal lobe of every Christian's brain, or right near the front, people are talking about Jesus coming back. You see, our souls are like in a cage, and our cages are rattling right now. And every week brings more news that either shocks or surprises us, and we're going, where's it all going? And we know where it's all going. So he said, remember that the Lord is near. You remember today, whatever you're going through, that um, you may not be here tomorrow, that there, today is the most likely day. This is the, if you want to predict the Lord's coming, today would be your best day. You'll be closer than anybody else who's ever predicted it. He's coming soon. 
And if he comes today, if he's near in that way, what would you have wanted to do and not wanted to do? And if the Lord is near, some of your neighbors and mine might still be here. And there will be no order. And there will be no pockets of peace. Because when the Lord is near and comes back, there will be no turning back. And that's why you add the gentleness, because he could come at any time. And then thirdly, you add prayer in everything. There's probably big print on this recipe, and that is do not add worry. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Don't add worry. It's Rick uh, Warren from Saddleback who said, if you know how to worry, you also know how to meditate. Worry is simply taking negative thoughts that you get from the world and from life's realities and turning them over and over and over and over again in your mind until you actually believe it and you start acting like those negative thoughts. But meditation on the Bible, the Word of God, turning it over and over and over again makes you believe and makes you part of what God is doing. Prayer in everything, not just in some things. Oftentimes, somebody will, uh, well, sometimes it's his own staff. People will ask Pastor Kevin something about a concern that they have or a big problem that's just come into their lives, and for some reason, they like to tell the pastor about it. And I'm just going to warn you right now, here's what he's going to say to you. He's going to say, have you prayed about it? Oh, it shuts you down every time. Say, <laughs> like, nope, I never thought of that. Um, I, I just wanted to, couldn't wait to tell you about it so you could pray about it. And what he's saying is, uh, have you prayed about it? Do you have any sense? Have you talked to God about this first, and to Jesus? Or could you not wait to put it on Facebook? Could you not wait to tell your pastor about this horrible thing that has happened? He's saying, have you prayed about it? Meaning, uh, have you talked to God? Are you getting any sense of what he is saying to you? Pray about everything, every time, always. And pray with thanksgiving. I'd like you to listen to somebody. Some of us have been following her for uh, over 40 years. In an instant... She went from being the beautiful, tall, blonde, all-American athletic girl to a quadriplegic. For the last 40 years, we have followed her life, and through the tantrums, through the chronic pain, through the frustration and the discouragement, through the cancer and the brutal chemotherapy, she has faced something else. I want you to hear about it because I want you to watch her face too because you're going to be introduced to Johnny Erickson Tata if you haven't met her. She's just gone 
through something, she's worked this recipe that I just gave you. I want you to listen with your heart and watch with your eyes. As you know, I've been struggling with COVID and I thank you for praying me up and out of it. Although, I don't know, maybe you can tell my lungs are telling me I'm not quite in the clear. Being a quadriplegic, it was so hard to breathe, especially at night in bed. And when I was told I had COVID, I thought, this is a death sentence. But my disability had already taught me how to carry even this cross. For when I trusted him to see me through, even if it did yes mean death, when I, when I gave it all up to him, I, I could feel God take gentle, firm possession of this strange affliction and, and begin to do a work in me. It was as though the Lord pressed me, Johnny, do you believe me that I will never leave you or forsake you? That I am your ever-present help in this trouble? That doubting me only makes things worse? Do you, do you believe my grace is sufficient? whether I take you home or uh, assign you to remain, do you trust me? And in the dark, in bed, I cried out, yes, Lord, I believe. And then in the ensuing hours and days, I felt this wonderfully odd calmness and almost indifference to how much it might hurt or how it would end. And I felt perfectly still under the hand of God, he pulled me close into a shelter and I, I felt myself resting in the shadow of the Almighty and it felt blessed. Did you get that? If you did, did you get it? Just say, got it. She worked that recipe. Like Joy's recipe you probably won't get it exactly right the first time so here's what you do with the recipe from philippians that you got today you might want to memorize it you're going to need it sometime and then you practice it and then you perfect it because i guarantee what comes out of the oven from the heat of your trials is perfect, transcendent peace. Every time you work this recipe, somewhere along the line, when you work it, somebody is going to get a, a whiff of this peace that you carry moving forward in our world, in our day, before their eyes. Somebody's going to ask for the recipe. Because whenever you have perfect peace, I guarantee you're going to have an audience that needs what you have. Give them the recipe. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the recipe in your word, who would have ever thought that it would come from a hateful killer like Saul of Tarsus? But he met you, and we've met you. 
and there is a recipe, God, that this world needs. And before we can give peace to others, it must be perfected in us. So help us this week, Lord, to just work the recipe, work it again and again for the perfect peace that we need and that we need to give. In Jesus' name, amen.